Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Well, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning because He's so worthy, so good of our... Our affection and adoration, our, our love, all that we could give to Him, worship is always, it is always a response to what you think about God. That's exactly what worship is. It is a response to what you think about God. And when you ponder what He has done for us, the very, listen to me, the very breath that is in our lungs right now is a gift from God. There's never, ever, ever, ever an opportunity in your life, that you don't have to praise Him. Regardless of what you're going through in the moment, in the occasion, no matter what your life is looking like, that very second, there, I promise you, there is a reason within you to praise Him and to worship Him and our worship, how we worship, the passion with which we worship, all reflects how we really feel and think about God. So if you've been spending time with Him and you've been looking in the Word You've been pondering what He's done for you, the greatness of the life that He's given to you, the greatness of the salvation that He's given to us, the great sacrifice of Christ, but not just the sacrifice of Christ, but the power, the resurrection power that we have in Him right now. Man, if that can't excite you and cause you to emote and to express a life of worship, I have no other news on this planet that can bring that out of you. There is no other news on this planet. So, for His glory and for His sake, let's give God a hand clap of praise today just because of who He is, what He's done for us. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. We have so much to be encouraged about today. And as we turn to 2 Samuel in just a second, we're in the Old Testament this morning, we'll be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to spend some, some time in Psalm 51 as well to give you a heads up of where we're going there. But just this week, as I've been thinking about what I am thankful for, and I thank God so much for the salvation that I have in Christ and the new life that He's given to me, the new identity that He's given to me, I have to say that I am so thankful for you. I'm just so thankful for you. There's just been something in my heart that's been boiling over the last couple of weeks. And it's just a, a thankfulness for people. Just a thankfulness for people to, to have the opportunity to share love with people, to put a smile on their face. You know, one of the greatest things we ever get to do on this earth is to add value to someone else's life. To add value to someone else's life. Being kind, smiling face, pat on the back. Uh, maybe uh, the person next to you, ha maybe they haven't had a pat on the back all day. Why don't you right now, just the person next to you, just kind of reach over, pat them on the back. Let them know that there's somebody on this planet who thinks enough of them today to at least just pat them on the back. And then I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Someone that you can make eye contact with right now, okay? Someone you can make eye contact with right now. Just say to them, whether you mean it or not, I'm just kidding, I want you to mean it, say to them, I appreciate you. 
right now. Just find, make eye contact with somebody and just look at them and say, hey, even if you have to point at them, hey, right here, these guys right in the front, I appreciate you. I, y'all appreciate me? Hey, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. You are a person of great significance. You are a person of value. And one of the greatest things I could ever do in your life is to spend my days adding value to your life because God thinks that much of you. And if you're looking for a significance and a purpose in your life and in your days, look for opportunities where you can add value to someone else's life. We're always doing one of two things. We're always doing one of two things. We're speaking life or we're speaking death. We're speaking life or we're speaking death. And what a joy and amazing opportunity it is to spend time with someone and to say, man, I, I value you. I want to speak life into your life today and value. Okay, so can we go home now? So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, still talking about new beginnings and fresh starts. And last Sunday, we talked about uh, what it means to burn the ship, to really begin to let go of some baggage that's in our lives. And when you think about life being a journey, uh, or any journey that you might go on, you pack your luggage, you get your belongings, you put them together, you intentionally pack your luggage, and, and, and that's positive, that's intentional, because you're thinking about where you're going and what you need for the journey. So vacation, trip, whatever it may be, you pack your luggage. But some of us today are packing baggage. Baggage, is, baggage is, has a negative connotation because we're, we're pulling along with us some things, maybe of our past, some things about ourselves that we're having a hard time overcoming. And last week, I just encouraged you, encouraged all of us to identify, to identify the ships in your life that you've sailed upon that are keeping you from embracing the new, walking in freedom, walking in victory, and to burn those ships. In 1519, an explorer by the name of Hernan Cortez led his men on an expedition to Veracruz, Mexico. When they arrived there, he began to realize that his men were really nervous about the new life. They were scared. They were weary. They didn't know what was going to be ahead of them. And so they became nervous about the new life, and they were uncertain about the new territory and where they were going. And Hernan Cortez, he realized this about his men. So he ordered his men to burn their ships. In burning those ships, they closed the door to going back to an old way of life. In burning the ships, they were embracing the new. They were walking into freedom, however uncertain or scary that might be. But some of those ships that had, they had been on up to that point was a way back to the old life. And the only way to be free truly free to embrace the new, was to burn the ships and to close the door on the old way. When you burn the ships by the power of Christ, 
And one of the lies the enemy feeds us today is that we can't. That they're always going to be a part of our lives. You see, your ship today is the largest negative aspect of your life that consumes you, your thoughts, your daily being. These ships look completely different for each individual, yet everyone has them. In Scripture, we would call these flesh patterns. And there's things that have been developed in our lives, maybe since a very young age, that has caused us to live independent from God's power and His Spirit in our lives. These have led to major, major, major problems and pain in our lives. And one of the lies today that the enemy is going to tell you is that number one, there's no hope. There's no changing. I am who I am. There's no change in me. That's a lie from the evil one. Another lie he's going to tell you is that you're, going, you're always going to have to have these in your life, whether it's an addiction, an insecurity, a low self-esteem. Uh, gosh, even last week I realized that for some of us, for some of us today, our ships may be painful experiences of our past. It might even be a relationship that ended, that is over, that we can't get back no matter hard we, how hard we try. And you come to a point and you accept the fact that there's nothing you can do to change it. You must let go. You must burn the ship. Satan will tell you, you can't do it. You got to have it. It's just who you are. And all of those are lies from him. When you burn the ship, it is a diehard determination. Pedal to the metal. Yielding to the spirit and power of Christ. That you will and you are going to walk free from whatever that is in your life. Burn the ship. And here's the thing. When you burn the ship, there is going to be a blaze. Like you saw last week, and if you didn't get to see the message, check it out on our, our YouTube channel. You can see the message there in its entirety, and you can see perhaps even the video by For King and Country called Burn the Ships. And you see the ship on fire and it's ablaze and you can imagine the picture of that and it's a picture of brokenness but I'm telling you today I am telling you today there is a beauty there is a beauty in brokenness in 2 Samuel chapter 12 we come to another aspect of burning our ships some of the ships that you're dealing with today might have come about because of your upbringing, your past, how you were raised, uh, an abusive relationship, how, how, just how you personally learned how to deal with conflict or problems in life. Some of these ships that you're dealing with today are, are what other people have brought into your life or introduced to your life. And, and, and it's hard to deal with those. Sometimes there's no change in those. And today, at the end of the message, we're going to ask the question, what, what do we do even if? 
even if we have to continue to live with what some other people have introduced into our life or a situation that we just can't change. But at this point, we're talking about what you've done. We're talking about some ships that you've brought into your own life. Some decisions and choices that you've made. And last week when Jesus said these words, and you can say them with me, you shall know the what? You shall know the what? You shall know the... Say it with me. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you or set you what? Set you free. And those folks were struggling with knowing who Jesus is. They were struggling with knowing who they were in Jesus. They said, said we are children of Abraham. Children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And then Jesus says, but wait a minute. You've been enslaved to sin. You've been enslaved to the power of sin. And knowing who Christ is, knowing who you can be in Christ, knowing that truth can set you free from the power of sin. Today we're going to talk about owning it. We're going to talk about owning it. Taking personal responsibility for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we come to a story in the life of King David. If you need your mind jogged a little bit, your memory in regards to King David, King David was the anointed king of Israel. He was a man that was regarded to be Listen to this, a man after God's own what? A man after God's own heart. And there's some things that happen in David's life that happen to a man who was called a man after God's own heart. So even the people who have great hearts, great intentions, great motives, Yourself, perhaps today, you can find yourself in situations and circumstances making decisions and making choices that don't line up with who you are, that don't line up with who God is. You can go through seasons of your life and you can make some really, really, really bad choices. And that happened to David, the man after God's own heart. In the springtime of the year, the Scripture tells us in the story, that David and his men were at, out to battle. And it was a time or a season where kings went to battle. And David stayed back in Jerusalem at the palace. While he's there and while his men and other kings are out to battle, David is there at the king's palace. And he notices one evening a woman who was bathing. Her name is Bathsheba, no pun intended. Bathsheba was taking a bath, no pun intended. But there was Bathsheba, she was bathing, and David saw her, and she was hot to trot. She was a good-looking lady. And David, in his heart, said, I think I'd like to lie with her. So using his power as king, he beckoned, servants to call to her to get her and and so that night David had sex with Bathsheba 
she became pregnant with David's child. Who made that choice? David. He made the choice. He made the choice himself. I've heard people say, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, and you say the devil made me do it, then you blew it, because that's just really an excuse. If you have Christ, the hope of glory in you today, you have, let me tell you, you have been equipped with the power that you need to walk victoriously in this life. We still struggle at times, and we make mistakes. David made a huge mistake, but he wanted to cover up the mistake of his life. So David, realizing that she's now pregnant with his child, he's thinking, man, I need to cover this up. So she has a husband, and his name is Uriah. And so David calls Uriah. Uriah was a faithful man. He was faithful to Israel. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to the king. Uriah was out as well taking care of the land, and he was serving. And so David calls to him and says to Uriah, Uriah, I'm sure you are tired. I'm sure that you are weary. Why don't you take a break and go on down to your house and spend some, spend some time, like wink, wink, at the house. He finds out that Uriah was so faithful that he would not leave the king's area or quarters Calls to him again, says, my goodness, surely you need some rest. Why don't you wink, wink? Why don't you go down to your house? And he's hoping that he'd go to the house and that he would have relations with his wife. And then the sin of David would be covered up. And it would appear that Bathsheba was pregnant with, with her husband's child. Uriah still does not do that. So David comes up with another plan. And I'm telling you right now, this is how far darkness can take you. If you've ever been in a season of your life where the wool was pulled over your eyes and darkness veiled over you, and you started making poor decisions, they can come quickly. They can come quickly. Uh, many of us can attest today that we've been at times in our life where we spiral down very quickly, one poor decision upon another upon another, and the darkness that encompassed us got darker and darker and darker. So David then comes up with a plan to have Uriah killed. So he sends Uriah out on the battlefield. He orders one of his leading men, Joab, to put Uriah in the front of one of the fiercest battles so that Uriah would be killed. And that happens. Uriah is killed. And then David makes this move. While Bathsheba is grieving, while she's grieving, he takes her into his house. She now has the appearance of a grieving, widowed wife. He takes her into his house. She became his wife. And then she bore him a son. But I want you to listen to me. And listen to me carefully. Because at the end of chapter 11, this is how the Scripture reads. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. When it comes to burning your ship, some of those ships are 
poor choices, bad decisions, sinful mistakes that you've made in your life. And you will never be able to burn that ship until you own it. There's so many people I know today who are looking for a new beginning and a fresh start. They desire that in their life, and I want that for them too. Don't you? Don't you want to see people walk free and walk victoriously? But don't you know that even as they try to go forward into their life, unless they come to a point in time where they deal with the past honestly, they're going to struggle because that past is going to be like that baggage that continues to go with them. And you want them to be free. You want them to experience uh, freedom and victory in their life. And Jesus has done that for them, but because they haven't owned it, because they haven't admitted it, because they haven't embraced the fact of what they've done, they're just going to have a hard time being free, experiencing the freedom that Christ has given to them. So you know what happens for David? He has a friend who loves him enough to tell him the truth. Do you have friends in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth? Have you ever had to tell a friend the truth? Have you ever had to feel like you needed to come alongside someone and in love and in grace and in mercy say to them, I see you struggling. I see you hurting. But I don't think you have embraced or acknowledged what is really going on in your life. David has a friend that loves him enough to tell him the truth, and his name is Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of God. He was a court prophet. And many, many times in David's life, God used his friend, the prophet Nathan, to come to him and to be honest with him and to help him. Because let's be honest. God does not intend for us to live this life alone. We need each other. We need people. We need friends. And perhaps even where you are today is not possible without a friend who came alongside you at some point in your life. So, so Nathan comes along. And this is where we pick up in the story. And Nathan, I can't imagine. Are you all with me? Can you imagine what Nathan is thinking as he is now led of God to go and to talk to David. Can you imagine this? Because, okay, first of all, Uriah did not fall into the plan like he was supposed to. What happened to Uriah? Okay, so we preached this morning on what happened to Uriah. So he gets killed, right? So can you imagine Nathan thinking, okay, I'm going to go to the most powerful man there is in the land, and I'm going to confront him. I'm going to tell him that he's done evil in the sight of the Lord. And let me tell you, David, Nathan is thinking, and there's always, there's always going to be consequences for our decisions and our choices. And some of us today will live for the rest of our lives with decisions and choices that we've made. We can be free, forgiven, walk in victory, but some of those consequences will be there for the rest of our lives. Does, can, is in, can anybody attest that that is true? Can I get an amen? Can we be honest with each other today? 
So Nathan, I'm sure, is thinking, how in the world am I going to tell David that he's done evil in the sight of the Lord? And a lot of people are going to pay for this as a nation, as a people of God. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord sends Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, Nathan is such a, a wise man. He, he comes up with almost like this parable that he's going to share with David. So watch this, and you guys read along with me. This is really a neat thing that Nathan does. There were two men, this is a story he tells, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. A lot of sheep, a lot of cattle. But the poor man had nothing except, and you say this with me, one little ewe lamb. I mean, that, that, that just even sounds pitiful, lowly. And this one guy's got all this stuff. But this other man, this poor man, had one little what? He had one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it, listen to this, and it grew up together with him and his children. They probably even named the lamb. They probably named the lamb. Reminds me of when I was a kid. We had a cow. Dad, I can't remember who bought the cow. We had a cow. and We named the cow. And then one day the cow just disappears and we have burger the next day. I don't know how that happened. But her name was Priscilla. I don't know what story they made up to tell us about what happened to the cow, but I remember burger was good. Oh my gosh, I'm now traumatized. Sure, they had a name for the little lamb. He bought, nourished, grew up together with him and his children. He would eat of his bread, drink of his cup, lie in his bosom. This was a lamb that he cuddled with. He loved the lamb. It was like a daughter to him. Part of the family. You know how pets are. I mean, they become part of the family. Now, a traveler, a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from him Take from his own flock or his own herd. So the rich man's got all this stuff. And here's this poor traveler that comes up. And the rich man is unwilling to take from his herd to help this guy out. To prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, here's what the rich man does. He took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. They're heavenville. So he goes and he takes the poor man's lamb, the one little lamb, the one little you lamb that had a name that was like a child to him. You are getting the picture. David hears this story. And this is a man in our kingdom who has done this. And the scripture says that David is now burned with anger. His anger is burning greatly. How how dare someone who has so much not be willing to give to help another out, but will go to this poor man who's only got one little you lamb and take that lamb away. And then the family doesn't have 
the little lamb anymore. I mean, his anger is burning greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, listen to this. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. You go find him and we will take care of this man. Life for life. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and had no compassion. Then Nathan, and I can't imagine the pause or the hush that had to be in the room at this point in time. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man who has done this thing. Who is responsible for this situation. You. Never spoken. Never said. You had so much. And there was another man who had a wife. And she was beautiful. But she was his. And you took her. You hid it. You covered it. You have taken advantage of your own people. Who did this thing? Who is responsible? You are the man. Have you ever looked in the mirror at the challenges and issues of your life and instead of passing blame to someone else, said to yourself in the mirror, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives to your care. And blah, blah, on, on, and on, and on, and on. You have been blessed. You have despised the word of the Lord, verse 9, by doing evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. You've done this thing. The Lord says, verse 11, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes. Give them to your companion. He shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun as if in broad daylight. David, it's now time for fair play. So stop for a second, okay? Let's take a big deep breath. This is the point or this is the time in this where everything about David's actions is sinking into his life. He's taking things to heart. He's thinking, think, uh, taking things to mind. He's heard the consequences that are going to come about because of his decision. And it leads, it leads to an absolute brokenness in his life. It leads to brokenness. But here's what's getting ready to happen. Because that has to sink in before you can burn the ship. It has, there has to, there needs to be a point 
in time where you, in, in a contriteness of heart and spirit, you come to... I'm telling you, if you want to be free, you must own it. Because as long as you blame or make excuses, you will never own it. And until you own it, you'll never be free. Until you own it, you will never see the mercy and grace of God poured upon your life. Because God always resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Your pride is keeping God from loving on you. Because until your pride is broken, you'll not run to Him, but you will run away from Him. Psalm 51 gives us insight into David's confession. He comes before the Lord and the word confess. The word confess simply means to say, to say the same word. It is the word, listen to me, Homo legeo, which means same word. Homo legeo, like homosexual means same sex. Homo legeo means same word. To say the same word is to say the same thing. And when you say the same thing, you are agreeing about something. To confess means to agree with God about whatever it is that you need to agree with God about. It means to see it through God's eyes and to acknowledge it for how God sees it. So in Psalm 51, this is a confession of David. And it's beautiful because again, let me tell you, there is beauty in brokenness. When that ship gets set on fire... And it looks like a hot mess. It's a beautiful thing. And this is the point in time where you have nothing to bring to God except the tears in your own hands. You ever been there? You have nothing to bring. You can't bail yourself out. You can't save yourself. You cannot undo what's been done. You have nothing to bring to God except your tears in your own hands. And it's a beautiful thing. Because until you get there, you're not going to see the floodgates of His love, mercy, and grace poured upon your life. So in Psalm 51... You get insight into what's happening there in 2 Samuel. And here's what God, here's what David says in Psalm 51. And if you're in your study Bible, it will say, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, here's what he says to the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from whose sin? My sin. Or please know this is a personal work that God wants to do in your life. 
cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And watch this, watch this. And my sin is everywhere. My sin is everywhere. My sin is ever before me. Every time I look into the mirror, every time I think about what's going on in my life, every time I think about it, every time I see my kids going through what they're going through, every time I look around and see my sin is ever before me, I can't run from it. I can't escape it. I can't blame anybody else for it. It is ever before me. And I want you to know something today. This is one of the keys to confession in the life of a believer. Because listen to me. What is ever before you. As a believer in Jesus. Is not what's ever before him. This is for you. What is ever before you is not the same thing as what is ever before Him if you are in Christ today. This is for you. Confession is for you. To confess means to say the same thing. It's to agree. To repent means to have a heart to turn and to see change brought into your life. It's for you. So let's go back. The second Samuel chapter 12. After God says to him. What the consequences will be, be. Then David. David said to Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord. See what I read to you in Psalm 51 is like behind the scenes other stuff that was happening there. The Lord also, listen to this, Nathan said to David, Nathan says back to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin, you shall not die. The son of David and Bathsheba would die. And God has kingdom purposes for the consequence of that decision and choice. But God, through Nathan, speaks back to David and says, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. The Lord has taken away your sin. You shall not die. If I will not die, then I will do what? If I will not die, and sometimes I may feel like I'm dying in the crap of my life. If I do not die, then I will do what? I will do what? I will, I will live. I will live. I will live. Your sin has been taken away. You shall not die. Here's a great question. And pardon me for being so candid with my language. But let's just call it what it is. Amen? On what basis would God... To, see, to take away means to remove. It is the idea of forgiveness. When sin is taken away, sin is removed completely. That's what it means to be forgiven. On what basis would God be able to forgive David? 
Now this is many, 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 many years before the crucifixion of Jesus. So on what basis would God be able to come to David and say, your sins are taken away. In other words, your sins are forgiven. Taken away. You shall not die. You will live. On what basis? Is it on the basis of the animals that would be sacrificed under the Old Covenant in the sacrificial system that would have to be done repeatedly and perpetually? On what basis? See, that's the basis on what sin is covered. That's why they had to do it over and over because it only covers for a period of time. But we're talking about a removal, the taking away of it. The basis on which God always grants forgiveness is on the basis of Jesus Christ's atoning death and sacrifice for all of our sin. Even though the cross hadn't happened yet, God is looking to the cross and what Jesus would do for David to pronounce forgiveness upon his life. The same thing happens with Abraham when the Scripture says that Abraham was justified by his faith means that he was made right with God. Abraham, who lived a long time before David, on what basis was Abraham's faith uh, imputed to him as righteousness? It was the basis of the cross of Jesus. So whether it happens before or after, it is the same atoning sacrifice, and only the sacrifice of Jesus can take away sin. So God's looking to the future of what his son would do for David. And he pronounces forgiveness on David's life. So when it comes to burning the ship, I come before God. I say the same thing. I confess. I own. And then here's what I do. Because I live on this side of the cross. I acknowledge. I acknowledge the forgiveness of Jesus. Not only must I own my sin. But I must own my forgiveness. And I don't have to sit there for days. And beg and ask or plead. Because once was enough. And when you are forgiven in Christ. You are absolutely forgiven. And please know that in time and space, when Jesus died on the cross for you, every single one of your sins in time and space was in the future. So it is no problem at all for Christ to forgive sins that happened before the cross, and it is no problem at all for Him to forgive sins after the cross because His payment for sin was once and for all, forever and for always. Once you are forgiven in Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. And today, it helps us to come to the Lord and to say, boy, I've made a big old mess here. i got a ship I need to burn. And as I acknowledge that to you, Father, and I know it's ever before me, I thank Jesus that it's not ever before you. So I'm going to own my forgiveness. And the power, by the power of Christ, I will press on. So you see, in that moment of burning the ship, 
There's a tremendous beauty in that. And I would just encourage you, no matter where you are in life today or where you are in your journey, if you got here by some reasons that you're ashamed to admit or to acknowledge, but you really want to experience freedom, then just be real. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Confess. Agree. Today, burn the ship. Because the biggest ship that ever needs to be burned in your life is the one that Jesus has burned for you. He burned it for you. And He wants you to be free. But there's some things that may not change. Some stuff that you're going to continue to deal with. And you're going to need His grace day by day by day with some things. You're going to pray. You're going to ask God to fix some things. To, to deal with some things. And it, it just may seem like those mountains are not movable. We're not talking about the sin mountain. We're talking about circumstances and pain in your life. Maybe even some of the consequences from sins long ago. So what do you do when you pray and you pray and you pray and it doesn't change? Even if. What do you, what do, you do even if? Even if the mountain doesn't move. Even if you still deal with some things. Even if. What do, what do you do? See, you can, you can come before God and you can deal with things within yourself, but you can't help what somebody else does. You can't help what your spouse does or your neighbor does. They may not change. You may change, but they may not. And you still have to live with a situation or circumstance. What do you do even if, even if, even if? What do you do? Mercy me. Wrote a powerful, powerful song that I think speaks to our hearts and to our lives. I want you to focus on these words. In fact, I want you to sing them in your heart. I want you to embrace them. What do you do? We're going to keep the lights right there. Even if. Even if. Even if. Cody, you come up with me, buddy. Even if. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Let's just dim. Let's just, just go dim, please. Just, I'm not the spotlight. It's not on me. It's on Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's just take a minute and be very, very real. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to do something for me, okay? I do not know if this message today even remotely hit home with you. I have no clue. 
I'm not the Holy Spirit. But as you stand there, right there, would you do something? Thank you, Cody. Would you just stand with your palms open? Your palms open. Your palms open. This is a posture of receiving. Lord, I need you. This is a posture that says, God, here is my mess. I need you to take it. And would you please put back into my hands all of who you are. Because I cannot do this on my own. You are, you've all, you're all I've got. You're it. And God, if you would be so kind, would you bring some people along beside me in my life who will remind me of all that I have in Jesus when I forget? This is how you folks keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. This is how you worship. This is a holy posture that is scriptural and biblical to the hilt. This is how you worship. You're acknowledging all of who He is in your need for His power in your life. This is how you worship. So, Father God, we lift to you everything. And we ask that you would just encourage us in this journey, Lord. We acknowledge we own that which only we can acknowledge and own. And I'm so thankful that you have washed me, that you have cleansed me. You answered David's prayer. And you have answered my prayer through Jesus. You have cleansed me. You have washed me. I can leave here today knowing that I am brand new in Jesus. And whatever I have to deal with, you, you are enough. Of all the things I could want or ask for in my life, of anything you could never ever not give me, I acknowledge that if I have you, then I have enough. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.